Welcome to the New Life Philly podcast. Every week, we share fresh insights as we explore the inexhaustible depths of the Word of God. We pray that you will be encouraged and challenged today as we continue in our study. Let's join in now. Today, we're continuing our sermon series, short sermon series in, in Advent, preparing for the coming of Jesus Christ. There's a book by uh, David Zoll and some other authors. It's called The Law and the Gospel, A Theology for Sinners and Saints. Um, you're going to have, you're going to, I'm going to have a bunch of quotes from this book. I read this book this week and, uh, it has a big impact on this sermon. I just want to give credit where credit is due. And in that, uh, book, they point to, they, they highlight this, uh, cartoon from Calvin and Hobbes, if you want to bring it up on the screen. Most of you are probably familiar with Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin is this, this little six-year-old boy, precocious. Hobbes is his tiger friend. And, um, Calvin, Calvin says, resolutions me. What are you implying that I need to change? Well, buddy, as far as I'm concerned, I'm perfect the way that I am. Now, Calvin does not hear a question from Hobbes. He hears an accusation, namely, your personality could use some work. If you know anything about the Calvin and Hobbes cartoon, Calvin is in serious need of betterment. But instead of inspiring fresh resolve, Hobbes' suggestion creates defensiveness, a surefire sign that judgment has been communicated. Calvin, here's judgment. This cartoon comes close to home because we are constantly being measured by others and we are constantly measuring ourselves. Think of one example, pursuing weight loss. Think of all the measuring of calories. Think of all the times you're on the scale. Think of all the people that you're wondering if they think you look good or not. Now think of skinny people who have never had to, to, to do weight loss a day in their lives and maybe the, the supreme, the, pride that resonates in their hearts as they compare themselves to skinny people. I don't know. But you to get the point. We are constantly measuring ourselves. That's just one example. You know, most people look at me and they say, you don't have to lose weight. Every time I go to my cardiologist, he's like, I want you to lose two or three pounds. He thinks I need to lose weight. And I'm like, I've been losing those same two or three pounds for three years, I swear. It affects us all, and if that's not the issue, then just think of somebody, something else that you measure yourself by, or you compare yourself to other people. We are constantly measuring ourselves, and that's, like I said, just one example. And then we believe that God is measuring us. We had this sneaking suspicion that, yes, we, we asked Jesus to be our Savior, but, you know, in the end, God's going to judge us as guilty. There's something about the human soul. Well, today we are going to talk about judgment, the good news of judgment. And we are going to talk today about the deep need for repentance. We're going to end, that's not where we're going to, we're going to start. We're going to spend a lot of time in judgment in the law, but we are going to end with grace. We are going to end with the gospel, but we have a hard road to get there before we get to grace. So let's stand and we're going to read Luke chapter 3 together, verses 7 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord as it is spoken today. 
John said, that's John the Baptist, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. At the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with their pay. The people were waiting expectantly, were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one is more powerful than I will come. The strap whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is at hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John extorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let me pray. Lord, as I said, this is going to be a hard message. We need so much of your spirit to apply what is true to our hearts. Lord, we want to end up in peace with the gospel. To get us there, Lord, do your work, and do your work in me, Lord. Grant to me your spirit as I preach your word this day. Amen. My main point is that the law of God hits hard to adequately prepare us for the coming of Jesus Christ. The law of God hits hard to adequately prepare us for the coming of Jesus Christ. And my first point is, here comes the boom. Now, you may have remembered that song. It's a song from Nelly. This song has been playing in my head all week long in sermon preparation. Here's a, here's a clip. Here's, here comes the boom from Nelly. And I'm hoping I don't have to sing it. Here comes the boom. Now, that's, that's an old song. That's like early 2000s. I think that song may have been like 2007. But you still hear it. And most of the time you hear it, they're showing NFL, NFL clips. These m- massive collisions of football players where somebody usually ends up on their head. And you hear this. Here comes the boom. Here comes the boom. Bam! These football players violently crash into one another. I didn't want to show you any of those clips. But that's the point. 
Here comes the boom. John the Baptist is the boom. He is bringing down the hammer. He is laying down the law. He is warning of God's impending judgment. Here comes the boom. I also remembered there's a movie called Here Comes the Boom. That was playing through my head all week. It's um, Kevin James. You remember Kevin James, King of Queens? Kevin, Kevin James, Here Comes the Boom. He's a high school teacher. I think he's a biology teacher. And there's not enough money in the program. There's never enough money in the public school program for the music program. His friend Henry Winkler is the music teacher. So he gets, Kevin James gets this wild idea he's going to be an MMA fighter. And he's going to donate all his proceeds to the music department. The only problem is he's never fought MMA ever. So what he does is he hires a guy named Nico, who's an MM fighter, to teach him how to fight. Here's a clip from the movie. Disco street fight. Don't worry. With you, we're gonna do the real stuff. That's what we're gonna try. Let's go. Have a spit class in an hour. Okay. Uh, let's work on some takedown defense. I wrestled. I think I know how to stop a shot. Ding, ding, boom, boom. Elbow, elbow, boom. Liver stomp. Bang, bang, bang. Duck up low. You get the point. We need to keep you out of yeah, well, dangerous situations. Now, yeah, we can stop there. the rear naked. Um, I don't know if you hear all the sound, but he's like, uh, the one part especially, he's like, oh, I'm a wrestler. You don't, have, you don't need to teach me takedown, uh, how to fight off takedown. He takes him down. He's like, boom, 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 kidney punch, knockout blow. Now you know what I'm talking about. That's John the Baptist. Nico is John the Baptist. Bam, bam. Ah, the law is meant to choke you out. It is meant to take you to the very end of yourself. John the Baptist sees these people coming to be baptized and he goes right off and he says, you brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee the coming judgment? He says, you're like these snakes slithering away from the fire. You're coming to me. Somebody has warned you. You're coming to me thinking that my baptism is going to be enough to save you, you brood of vipers. John the Baptist is the culmination of the law. He is the last of the prophets in that Old Testament tradition. Do what's right and you're going to live. Do what's wrong and you're going to die. Here comes the boom. He's a, John the Baptist is a scary guy. Now I'm saved, I'm a Christian, and he still scares me. He is bringing down the heaviness of the law. And then he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He, then he anticipates what they're going to say. Well, we belong, we are children of Abraham. Certainly we will escape the coming judgment. And he says, no, see these stones? God could raise up children from these inanimate objects for himself. John is turning up the heat. He is not letting them come up for breath. So what is your Abraham lineage? 
What is your Abraham lineage? What the thing other than God that you are relying on to protect you from the coming judgment? Well, we belong to New Life Church. Look at all the things I've done for the community. Look at all the time I've served in this church. Lord, I have been a Christian for 35 years. Look at all the things that I've done for you, Jesus. That is not enough to save you on the day of judgment. It is a zero-sum game. You follow all of the law or you are guilty of all the law. And then John the Baptist, again, turning up the heat, the axe is already at the tree. And any tree that does not bear fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So my recommendation, again, the boom, the heavy hand of the law coming down to bear upon our souls. My recommendation today, whether Christian or not, do not let yourself off the hook. J.B., John the Baptist. J.B. wants you right now to squirm in your seats. But you say, well, this is all pre-spirit. This is all pre-Jesus. This is all pre-gospel. Absolutely true. But that doesn't mean that you should not allow the law of God to do what it is supposed to do in your soul. Allow the law to do its job today. It accuses your soul and it says you are guilty. That is the purpose of the law. And we feel the dread, don't we? You want me to bring it home for you today? Now, this is the law speaking. This is not Tim Bathurst. I'm not, do not, do not punish me for this. The law would say to you, you know, when you started this service today, there wasn't anybody here. There was hardly anybody here when the start of the service. Again, this is all not Tim Bathurst. So you don't believe that the creator of the universe is worthy for you to come on time? Now, the law would say, okay, I know some of you have some excuses, especially people with children. I get it. But the whole church has an excuse not to be here on time. You are guilty. Do not squirm out of it. And you're saying, in your heart, if you're saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. Do not let yourself off the hook. The job of the law is to accuse your soul and to say that you are guilty. But then we feel this dread set in, this shame and all of this stuff, just like the crowd. And we're like, well, what shall we do? What shall we do? The crowd feels it. We feel it. And we're Christians. Remember, we are not going to end up in the law. We're going to end up in grace. But let the law do its work. If you feel a sense of dread light now, feel it. Let it in. What shall we do? The crowd feels completely measured by John the Baptist and by God. They have, they know without a shadow of doubt that they have fallen short of the glory of God. What shall we do? And then there's these three groups of people. The first is just simply the crowd itself. If you were to look in Matthew, Matthew's version of this story, he says to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you brood of vipers. But in Luke, John the Baptist says it to the whole crowd. What The crowd's like, well, what should we do? And he says, give to those in need. If you're poor, give them 
the clothes that you have extra. They were talking about a tunic, this outer garment. If you have two of them, give one away. Give food to the hungry. Second group, tax collectors. Now, back in the ancient Near Eastern world, Rome would conquer a group of people, say the Jews, and then they would take people from the Jews to to collect taxes. And in order to get it, you would bid for it, and whoever was the highest bidder would get the right to collect all kinds of taxes. And so what tax collectors would do, Jewish tax collectors, they would collect a certain amount of money for Rome, but then they would collect an additional amount of money to pad their own pockets. Now you can see why the Jewish people hated them so much. They were their own, collecting and extorting the people of God, taking all this money. And they're like, what should we do? And John says, only collect the amount of taxes that you should. And then this third group of people, the soldiers. Now these were probably, these were probably not Roman soldiers. These were probably Jewish soldiers, the ones that Herod raised up to protect his kingdom and protect the temple. They often worked with the Roman soldiers and they often protect, protected the tax collectors. He said, well, they're like, well, what should we do? And he says, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So they were doing their own version of extorting the people. What should we do? Be happy with your pay. Now, this should all sound really familiar if you've read the Old Testament. This is the do's and don'ts of the Old Testament law. This is, you do what is right and you will be blessed. You do what is wrong and you will be cursed and you will surely die. So now, a curious person would say to JB, John, like, John, what if, if you look at the Old Testament and thousands of years of people never being able to do the law, what makes you think after thousands of years these people will be able to do the law? That's the question that should be ringing in our minds as we read this. And then we're here after Christ and with the Spirit, and we can't even do the law. We try over and over and over to beat these sin patterns that plague our hearts. Once again, David Zoll, he says, we find ourselves being measured and falling short all the time. Think about the gap between Christianity's central concern for the poor and our own measly giving, the tobacco addiction or the browser history, or the tax fudging, or the workaholism we simply cannot kick. When dread sits in, when the law comes bearing down with its boom, we either say, I repent, Lord, forgive me, I am a sinner, or we dumb down the law and make excuses for ourselves. But the law demands perfection in thought, word, and deed. And because no one is perfect, all stand accused. That's Romans 3.23. What shall we do? What shall we do? Well, you see, there's a need for someone greater than John the Baptist. 
There's a need, a deep, deep need for someone greater than the law to come. And people are in expectation as John begins to ask them to repent. It's been hundreds and hundreds of years without anything, any profit from the Lord. And John the Baptist comes out of the wilderness just like Elijah and everybody's excited. Can this be the Messiah? They're waiting expectingly, just like we are in Advent. Can this be our Messiah? John says, I am not the Christ, but there is one coming. You see, and he says, that person, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Now, what is he talking about here? In that society, a slave was, un, was asked to untie a master's sandals. But here's the thing. That was too menial of a task for Jewish slaves. It had to be the non-Jewish slaves to do that. And what John is saying, I'm lower than that compared to the one who is coming. The law represented in John is impotent to produce real change in your lives. It simply cannot do it. Someone greater than John the Baptist has to come, and he is coming. And John says, he, I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then he paints this picture of Jesus at the threshing floor. The threshing floor, they would go out into harvest and collect the wheat. They would put, they would scatter the wheat down and they would trample on it or they would have oxen trample over it, separating the wheat from the chaff. And then the winnowing fork, this fork that a shovel almost, and he would, they would throw it into the air and the wind would blow away the chaff and the heavy wheat would fall down to the ground. That's what Jesus is pictured as doing. He's threshing. He's dividing the wheat, what is good from what is bad, the chaff. And he says, Jesus will throw that chaff into an unquenchable fire. Judgment is coming. It reminds me so much of Jonathan Edwards, that 18th century revivalist preacher who said, if you don't know Jesus, you are like a little spider hanging, hanging by a thread of a web over an unquenchable fire. Can you think of it? Just think of that little spider about to be thrown into an unquenchable fire. If you are here today, you don't know Jesus. If you're here online, you don't know Jesus. There is something coming. And I know we're supposed to be nice these days, but the law says there is an unquenchable fire coming. Jesus is going to bring it. And you are nothing more than a spider over this fire. If you do not give your life to Jesus Christ. Now picture Jesus coming along and grabbing that spider. That is us. It's all of us. But if you're not, if you're not here, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you say, well, I believe him. He's a nice guy. But no, he is the one who can deliver you from eternal flame, from eternal judgment. He wants to do that for you. The gospel is coming in this message, but don't be under any illusion. The people of God, let's not be under any illusion. Yes, we have been saved. But the question of all questions is, why are people coming to church? 
We can blame it on the pandemic, pandemic, but they weren't coming to church before that. Why are people not coming to church? The good news simply does not sound like good news to them. It doesn't sound like Jesus snatching them like a spider and holding that spider in his hands and delivering it from flames. What it sounds like to them is more of the same old, same old. It sounds like you're exposing me and then never giving me anything that really can help me. And then let's be honest, as American Christians, what we do is thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I got it from here. That's American Christianity here, everywhere else. That is American Christianity. And it doesn't sound like good news to people. It simply doesn't. We need to let the law bear down upon us. Do not resist your feelings of failure. Let them in. You needed a savior the day you first believed in Jesus and you still need a savior. You need a savior every moment of every single day. Your good works are simply not impressive enough to deliver you from judgment. They are not. So let failure in. Now, this is why I think people don't come to church. We don't share our failures with people. We talk about as if we make it seem like we have our acts together. And unbelievers are smarter than that. People who don't know Jesus, they're smart enough to go, well, how is that good news? I'm trying. I've been evaluated by the world all day long. You go to the job, I'm constantly evaluating myself. My boss is constantly evaluating me. And you're going to give me more of the same news? That is not good to me. You got to hand it to them. They know. They can sniff it out. The Christian life is impossible. The Christian life is impossible without a savior. It is simply, you cannot do enough. You will never do enough. It is impossible without a savior. But we American Christians think that the Christian life is doable. It is not. It is not. The good news must sound like good news to an unbelieving world or they will never come to hear the gospel preached in his church. I'm going to drive it home again. We're turning up the heat full blast. We are not preaching the gospel in the American church. We are not preaching the law that will drive us to our knees, get us to the point of almost helplessness, and then preaching the good news. Think of it this way. Think of that sin in your life that you just can never get a hold of. I want you to think of it right now. Think of that sin. You've been trying, trying harder, trying more, trying harder, and you can never get a hold of it. Or think of a person in your life who is in deep distress because of their own sin, and you've been trying and trying and trying to help them, and they never listen. If you pursue that path, it will end in helplessness. But we don't allow ourselves to go to helplessness. We don't allow the law to drive us to that place. We dumb it down and make it seem doable. 
Have you ever been to the point in your Christian life to utter helplessness because of your sin, because of the sin of another bearing down on your heart? Jesus sounds like good news at that point. We have to share our utter helplessness with the world. They need to see why we need a Savior. Or they'll never get it. Where does your presentation of Jesus sound more like the law than grace? Where does your presentation of the gospel sound like it's doable to yourself and others? That's, that's a hard message. It's very convicting. There is a dark side to everything that we do. I can think of nothing better to introduce you or anyone else to Christ than our own failure to obey the law of God. I like people feeling bad about their obedience. I like people feeling bad about their Christian performance, their lack of faith. I like when people feel like failures in the Christian life. It is the best preparation for the coming of Jesus that I know. To feel like an utter failure in all that you do. And to know there's somebody there that loves you. That is the gospel. And then John, verse 18, Luke says, So with many other exhortations, John the Baptist preached the good news to the people. My question is, all he's been doing is talking about judgment. How in the world is that good news? How is that good news to a frustrated, helpless soul? Well, here's the good news. It's coming. We, how is judgment good news? We'll get there in just a second. Back to the crowd. Think of giving to the poor. We have a coat drive, giving away a coat, giving away hunger, food to the hungry. We can't do it all. We can never do that perfectly. You go past a poor person, and this week you decide to help them, and you give them some money for some food, or you take them in and you buy them a meal, and then you feel good about yourself. The very next week you see the same homeless person, and you walk right by them. You're busy for something. You're late for something, and you feel utterly helpless. That's missing the point. You can never do enough. You can never do enough to help the poor. It drives us to utter helplessness. Maybe we're just too impressed with our own good works. All right. Are you thoroughly depressed? Good. As Jack Miller would say, the the founder of New Life Church, you're worse than that. But good. You're ready for Jesus Christ. You're ready for the good news of the gospel. The law has done its job. Now it is time for grace. Isaiah 9, 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Listen to this. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. That's good news. As Martin Luther so famously wrote in Thesis 23 of the Heidelberg Disputation, the law says do this and it's never done. Grace says believe in this and everything is already done.
because everything is already done by Jesus Christ himself. Jesus comes into this world to do what we cannot do. The law has has been defanged by Jesus. The condemnation we feel is simply a feeling. It's no more binding than any other feeling if you are a Christian. So we may judge others, and others may judge us. We may judge ourselves, but God has gotten out of the judgment game in Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. God has gotten out of the judgment game in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Doing what we could never do ourselves. The law is this inner critic, this police force in your head telling you when you do wrong. What's my advice? Let it be. Let it sit there. Let it do its job. Don't ignore it, but don't give in to its final narrative. The final narrative of the law is, look what you did. You didn't do enough. You didn't do enough. You didn't do enough. You didn't do enough. You're guilty. The answer is, of course I'm guilty. But I have a Savior who does not condemn me, who has lived a perfect, righteous life in order to give me that righteousness. He died on the cross for my sins. He was raised on the third day to new life. That is the power that Jesus Christ gives me. And it gives me the power to help the poor. It gives me the power to help those in need. It gives me the power to do all of good works because it's born of the Spirit. As a Christian, you are not ultimately who the law says you are. You are loved by God unconditionally. Let me say it again. Unconditionally. Let me say it again. Let it sink into your soul. The glorious news of Advent, Jesus loves you unconditionally. Jesus is God's gift. Once again, David Zoll, he says, human nature is such that we may appreciate the gift in theory, but not so much in practice. A pure gift upsets the balance of power. It may even invert it. Unconditional love is so threatening to sinful men and women and the precious hierarchies they create that the one time it was made fully manifest in history, we killed it. Judgment and God's wrath. These are hard messages especially hard messages for us to communicate to the world. The wrath of God. Try communicating that to an unbelieving world. There's a gentleman named Miroslav Volf. I love that name, Miroslav Volf. He's a Yale theologian. He was born in Croatia, and he lived through the nightmare years of ethnic strife in the former Yugoslavia a time that included the destruction of churches, the raping of women, and the murdering of innocents. And this is what he says about the wrath of God. I used to think that wrath was unworthy of God. Isn't God love? Shouldn't divine love be beyond wrath? God is love, and God loves every person and every creature. That's exactly why God is wrathful against some of them. My last resistance to the idea of God's wrath was a casualty of the war in the former Yugoslavia, the region from which I come. 
According to some estimates, 200,000 people were killed and over 3 million were displaced. My villages and cities were destroyed. My people shelled day in and day out. Some of them brutalized beyond imagination. And I could not imagine God not being angry. Or think of Rwanda in the last decade of the past century where 800,000 people were hacked to death in 100 days. How did God react to the carnage? By doting on the perpetrators in a grandfatherly fashion? By refusing to condemn the bloodbath, but instead affirming the perpetrator's basic goodness? Wasn't God fiercely angry with them? Though I used to complain about the indecency of the idea of God's wrath, I came to think that I would have to rebel against the God who wasn't wrathful at the sight of the world's evil. God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. God is wrathful because God is love. There it is. Evil requires judgment. It requires God getting upset. And only he knows how to do it. So how is judgment good news? It is the destruction of evil in us and the world. That's good news. Therefore, we must be like John the Baptist, preaching the full force of the law to others, but especially to ourselves, not to ignore judgment. How great a gift Jesus really is. That's why we need judgment this Advent season. That's why we need to understand it. We need to understand it's been swallowed up in Jesus. What we need more than anything in Advent is Jesus himself to come once again into our darkness, once again to bring forth the light. And Jesus on the cross, he said, it's finished. It's finished. No more judgment. No more wrath for the people of God. The law of God hits hard. It leaves us helpless. And when you feel that helplessness, it just, all that means is the law is doing its work in your soul. But oh, the grace of God that meets us in utter helplessness and utter darkness. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. Anyone who accepts the gift of Jesus Christ, the fact that he died for all of us on the cross, if you believe in him, the fact that he was raised again on the third day to new life, that resurrection power will help all of us avoid God's wrath. That is good news. And that is a gift we're celebrating. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, John the Baptist, he brings it hard. He brings down the boom. He brings the law in its full effect. Thank you that the law is not the end of the story. Thank you that grace and mercy, unconditional love is the end of the story. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you snatched us. We were that spider, all of us hanging by a thread over unquenchable fire and you snatched us away. May that be what the people in this society hear. May they not hear a gospel that's doable, but one that is completely beyond our means. One that demands perfection. 
the perfection of Christ, the perfection of your sacrifice, Jesus, on the cross, your perfect resurrection, your righteousness given to us, a perfect record. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, that you love us unconditionally. May this season, this Advent season, once again, be that preparation of the heart for the receiving of our Messiah. We praise you. We say hallelujah. You are our Messiah. Come save us again. We need you every moment of every day. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed today by the preaching of God's word. Join us every week for fresh insights on the New Life Philly podcast. If you would like to reach out to our church for more information, or if there's some way we can pray for you, please visit newlifephilly.net or email newlife at newlifephilly.net. May the Lord richly bless you this week.